0: Hello and welcome to the Beyond the Hustle podcast. My name is Lydia Wilmsen and I'm a mindset and business coach for high achieving entrepreneurs. In this podcast, I share insights into how you can create a life of freedom, happiness and personal fulfillment while increasing financial success way beyond what you have achieved with hustle alone so far. Plus, every other week I interview inspiring and out-of-the-box thinking entrepreneurs. Have fun and enjoy. Welcome to today's podcast episode. And today I'm interviewing Farah Shamas. She is from Cyprus. We actually met on Cyprus and she's the managing director of the St. Raphael Resort in Limassol. And I'm super excited, obviously, to hear today from her. Lots of input around business, lots of input around um, probably money-making activities and how to manage money, all of that. And also, because I know we talked about you having a cookbook for vegan recipes, so you have many different interests and I'm super excited to get your story today on the podcast. So welcome, Farah.
1: Thank you so much, Lydia. And firstly, can I say it was a pleasure to meet you and a pleasure now to be on this call with you and be on this podcast. I'm super excited. Your podcast is great. I've had the pleasure of listening to a few episodes now and um, yeah, really insightful, um, interesting information out there. So I hope this one also will be interesting to all the listeners.
0: Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> when I think of what you bring to the table, definitely. So, yeah, let's let's get started. And um, the first question I always ask is, tell a little bit about your story, what you do, and, yeah, why you do what you do.
1: Okay, well, um, yep, you're right. My name's Farah Shamas. I'm um, a British-Lebanese background. So, my dad is from Lebanon, and my mother is British. Um But then it gets even more complicated than that, which is quite fun. So my mom um, is born and raised in England, but is half German. So, yeah, there's a bit of of German blood running through my veins. And um, my um, paternal grandfather also was originally from Syria. So I've got a little bit of everywhere, yeah, products, product of the world, products of globalization, um, as many of us are nowadays. Um, I was born in London. And I spent the first five years of my life there. And then we moved to Cyprus because my grandfather had decided to um, invest and build a large five-star hotel and marina in Limassol. And this marina also was the first private marina on the island. And it it is still an official port of entry. So um, it's fair to say that the... Yachting industry as such, and a lot of the marine industry on the island, um, people who fix boats and have a lot of um, interest in and around um, yachts, whether smaller or bigger, was born out of our marina. And uh, my father's an engineer, so he came over to build projects for his father. We stayed for a few years and then it was decided that um, we would go back to England and have our education there. So we went back and I went to boarding school as well from the age of 12. Cyprus was always home, though. We always spent all our our holidays here. For me, the end of the meant packing up a suitcase and coming back here. So this was always my home. A lot of my family decided to go back to Lebanon when the war ended there um, in the... Late 90s, around 97, 98. But I um, stayed in the UK. I went to um, the University of Birmingham and did a degree in classical literature and civilization. Interesting. They're so very, very different from what I work in now. And then did a master's at the University of Surrey in tourism marketing because I was very um, keen on being involved in the tourism and hospitality sector and in our family business here in Cyprus. We also have some hotels in the south of England as well that my father invested in oh quite a few years ago now, maybe over 25 years ago. And um, yeah, so I just I studied that and then I moved back to Cyprus and I started working originally as a sales executive in our um, family's hotel. and I worked my way up and I am the managing director for the past six years now going on seven of St. Rafa Resort and Marina here in Limassol,
0: Cyprus. Mm. Oh, thank you for that introduction. What a story. <laughs> I obviously no. have uh, many questions now. Um, so first, that means your grandfather, he was an architect?
1: He was an engineer. Oh, okay. He was an engineer. He um, he had many, many, oh my goodness, many hats. He was a very, very clever man and a- academic, actually. But he was a civil engineer and he um, had a large construction company which still exists in the Middle East called CATS Construction and Trading and um, yeah that was his background. Oh,
0: okay I see it's all started basically then with the marina or at least like yeah for you with the marina and what came from that in in Limassol it's basically between Paphos so, and Larnaca in on Cyprus. Yes exactly
1: and in, in the south in the, the very very south part of the island we're on the eastern part of Limassol which was um, quite Uh, what's the word um there was a lot of foresight in that so my grandfather purchased this um area this big big piece of land and really insisted with the government he wanted to build a marina that he didn't just want a hotel and he said at the time you'll see this will be the most sought after area in Limassol." and indeed it's become you know the prestigious area really beautiful So he he wanted to build a resort hotel, but it was with a marina. And that's why it really is a resort. It's not just, um, you know, a typical hotel that you'd find anywhere in the world. We've also recently um, had a new addition, which is very exciting. Um, Just over a year ago, we completed our residential tower, which is a 14-story, beautiful tower of luxury apartments. And it also is home to my new baby which is the golden monkey thai restaurant it's an authentic fine dining thai restaurant that really is an experience in itself so that was born as well recently yeah the hotel has obviously an award-winning spa and seven different restaurants and we've got banqueting facilities and conference facilities and so much more. So yeah, it's an exciting project.
0: And it's so funny because I talk a lot about like intuition and all of that stuff on my podcast, obviously. And um, you just said it was like foresight or whatever, that it all starts with an idea, you know, all of that, what is there now, it wasn't there in the beginning. It just was an idea in, in his mind or whatever, and then expanded from that. And can you see that? Like what you say, your grandfather and obviously also like your father and you, that it plays a role in, in how you do business or what you, What do you think it's necessary to have some kind of intuitive, follow intuitive hints to, to grow bigger?
1: Well, I think it's a very interesting question. I think the the important thing is to have vision. If you have a clear vision and you know what you want, then what you can achieve is very attainable. So my grandfather was always, always, he was unique. He was very clever. He had a lot of foresight and he believed in what he was doing. And he really, really wanted to build this project. He'd originally wanted to build it in Lebanon. And then he decided to do it in Cyprus. And he had the option of buying, you know, beautiful, ready hotel in Park Lane, London, which would have made a lot of money. But that wasn't his main reason. He wanted to leave behind something for his family. He wanted to leave a legacy behind. And he really believed in this unique opportunity and this project and in doing something for the island that he wasn't from, but that he loved and in leaving something for his family to be able to enjoy and have this assets for them and remember him by. And my father very much believed in that vision, and he carried that forward for over thirty years before he handed me the torch, so to speak. And um, he also created a lot of unique aspects to the resort. We kept building on that. We were the first to have a pillar-free conference room, for example, or do many, um, you know, different innovative um, steps, you know, in our in our industry, and. Now, in turn, I also have a vision for the hotel and uh, moving with modern times. So my vision is to see the hotel take on a sustainable path and way forward to really bring it into 2022 and onwards um, to eliminate the use of plastic bottles, for example, um, to do our best with offering luxury but in a sustainable way and proving to people that you can have that you can have the five-star luxury you don't have to go to an eco village retreat in the mountains or you know go camping to be sustainable you can do that um, while still having beautiful um, environment and with all your add-ons Um, So this is where I I see the hotel going um, towards in the next years, which is so exciting. And I'm really looking forward to this this path and continuing the path of my grandfather and father
0: and all the family members. I love that. And that's a beautiful vision. And obviously, again, so many more things I could go into. Two things that popped into my mind right now were... Because you mentioned luxury can also be, or to make luxury sustainable or whatever you want to call it. And you don't have to go into an eco-village and have a sustainable experience. What if you like the vision of changing everything on this planet and also having culture, having beautiful fine dining experience, all of that. But in a, in a much more sustainable way than, yeah, of course, like when you think about the big hotels, what they use, it's crazy. So, of course, it's there crazy, is a lot to yeah. change. And do you see that there is interest in the world of like higher, whatever, of, of big money and all of that to to play a role in that, in sustainability, so to say?
1: Well, I think a lot of people have jumped on that bandwagon. It is um, considered a trend now. So a lot of people are saying, yes, we we believe in that. We're doing that. We're reducing our carbon footprint, but really they're doing it just to save money themselves or just to make sure that they're not seen as you know the grinch of you know the sustainable movement. I think consumers are becoming more savvy and they're more aware, more knowledgeable and more demanding. But I still think consumers also have a way to go. And we have to be careful. So we can't just see something and say, oh, well, that's got a green label on, or that's as you know, sustainable in a hashtag or that has vegan written on it, and therefore it must be great or good for us. It's not the case at all. And people are definitely looking more into, well, what do they actually mean by that? There's an expression, you know, greenwashing things just to make it look more eco-friendly when actually it isn't. So I think people really have to um, consider that both as the suppliers and also the end user. So the end user has to also be more demanding and say, well, okay, if you are sustainable, if you are green, show us, prove, prove to us. Then don't hide your numbers, be open about it. Whether it's a big or small business on the other side also has to say, well, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm not perfect, but this is what I used to do, and I've made a huge step towards being more sustainable. I think it's very exciting to watch it happen. It's not happening as quickly as it should have or it should be. But I think we are making steps in the right direction. And I hope more and more companies are definitely going to join in with this movement because it's not a trend. It can't be a trend. You know, the world is dying and we all have our part to play and we all have to do something about it now. Not not tomorrow. Yeah. Literally right now. Yeah.
0: Love that. Where where does this come from in you? Like what's your what's the story behind your big interest in yeah, veganism, sustainability, all of that? Where does it come from?
1: Well, um, I'm an active vegan or a vegan activist. I don't know which way around I should say it on different days, um, different ways apply. So I have a platform called Cook Vegan, which originally I started on Facebook as just a actually to be honest, I was doing a bit of market research into the new developments on Facebook and how groups were becoming more and more in and people were getting more into communities and being part of communities. And I decided to, you know, just follow my passion. And loads of people always ask me, oh, what do you cook today? You're vegan. What do you you make for your family? What do you cook? So I said, oh, let me just start a little group for a few of my friends to see what I make on a daily basis at home. And within... OK, it was lockdown, I have to say. So obviously everyone was on online. But within, I think, three days, it hit 1,000 members. And at this point, just over a year later, we're at 6.1,000 members, which the most important thing is that they're active. Most of them are active. They are posting, they're interacting, they're asking questions. So it's a really fun platform to be part of. And if anybody's listening to this, please do join. And the nice thing about it is that Most of the members are not even vegan. They're people who are interested in, well, who are vegans? What are vegans? What do you eat? Where do you get your protein from? All the normal questions that people ask. What do you cook for your kids? How do you know your kids are not malnourished? It's just quite interesting to see all of that unveil and how much interest there is out there. I do have an Instagram as well called Cook Vegan Insta, but it's small. I haven't really put that much effort into it yet. And I do have a YouTube channel called Cook Vegan that I do post on as and when I have time, just um, basically cooking and showing like different recipes. And I did make a cookbook last year, which was really fun. And that hit top 500 on Amazon, which was quite nice for a little self published um, cookbook. It's called 40 Delicious Vegan Recipes. And it was also supporting El Gionni, this charity. So that was really nice to be able to give back. And I have a new cookbook coming out um, in spring next year called Theo the Pig. Mm-hmm which is a children's storybook and recipe guide for vegan and vegetarian kids. So, yeah, that's a bit about what I do. So how I got into that, um, that's a bit of a longer story. But the the synopsis of it all is that um, I personally have suffered from psoriasis and um, irritable bowel syndrome, among obviously other maybe more stress-related ailments And I started, you know, my health journey, let's say maybe 20 years ago, but slowly but surely I started realizing what food bothered me, what food was better for me. And then I had my first child, who's now eight and a half. And when, when I had her and it hit the six month mark when she should start eating, I was given a piece of paper from my pediatrician, basically telling me that I should feed her things like you know, ham, albeit um, blended, and oh my goodness, and obviously formula milk, which I was breastfeeding her at the time. You know, um just paps, like you know, loads of different food that I just think anybody with a few brain cells would have read that piece of paper that did have Hip and Nestle on it, so obviously was sponsored. And I just was like, there's something wrong here. Like, this is crazy. Like, if the World Health Organization has deemed process and cured meats as carcinogenins why is my pediatrician telling me to give my six month old this this food or maybe when she was eight months or whatever else so i started quizzing him about it and he was quite very 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 nice man and very honest and basically said to me look maybe you know more than me i don't know like this is what i'm Mm. told to say i'm a pediatrician you know he's not a health coach or um a, a nutritionist so then I started, you know, reading more into it. I started making healthier food. I started realizing that a lot of the things that I'd been brought up eating maybe weren't so healthy. By that time, I was already a pescatarian, so I only ate fish. And I must say, I've never had cheese in my life. I don't. I've never understood why people eat dairy. I just thought it was a really bizarre concept, which did make the jump to veganism much easier because I do know that cheese is addictive. It is. It has case of morphines in it. Um, you know, it hits part of your brain that the drugs hit. So I get that. But, um, you know, you can definitely live without it with a bit of practice. Anyway, then I started watching different documentaries. I was obviously reading more. I did um, uh, a course from E. Cornell and the Colin T. Campbell Institute online uh, um, in plant-based nutrition. And I just said, that's it. I'm going vegan. I went vegan slowly, but surely. I think I, I made the move, but then I didn't really tell anyone I was vegan for about a year. Uh, that's of course me eating plant-based and then it took a while for the the lifestyle also to become vegan so I still own a lot of um, you know leather bags and things that I bought in my day but now I do buy any vegan products um wherever possible and my family they're not all vegan but they bless them they humor me and they eat any plant-based food at home so we're healthy vegans plant-based whole foods my son's probably the one most into it. The baby at the moment is a Um, My daughter's seeing what she wants. So my son will eat, you know, 90% plant-based food. My husband, that. Uh-huh. Uh, but when we go out, um, he might yeah, occasionally have a bit of chicken, fish or something else, but yeah, it's up to them. Everyone's on their own journey. So that's how I got more and more into it. But I do strongly, I have a passion for veganism. I just think If the world all understood it, if they knew what they were doing, if they weren't hiding behind their finger and just pretending that what they're eating is okay or that there's Mm. sustainable farming, which there isn't, you know, we'd be in a better place. And I just think if people could be kinder, then, yeah, the world would just be more Mm. lovely and it is lovely, but we can do better. Mm.
0: Definitely. And so I guess you also bring that or probably have like nice creations in the Thai restaurant. I actually wanted to go there, but in the end I didn't didn't make it in the, the last days in Cyprus. But next time.
1: Never mind. Next never time. mind. Golden Monkey is waiting yeah. for you. When you're next in Cyprus, definitely book. Um, yeah, it's lovely. So yes, and I, well, Golden Monkey is not a vegan restaurant, but we do have vegan options even now for you know, Christmas, New Year's, any special occasions, we'll do our set menu, but we'll always have a vegan option. And that applies to the whole hotel. Um, because it's not just vegans that want vegan options. It's people okay. who, maybe they're just, you know, turkeyed out and they don't want any more meat. Maybe it's people who are fasting. And um, in the Greek Orthodox religion, we spend, you know, nearly 200 days a year fasting, 180, I think it is, say so every Wednesdays, Fridays, and um, fasting periods, Lent and everything else. It's people who have, you know, milk or... Milk intolerances or so many other things. So we always have vegan options in our, you know, from our room service to all our menus. Sailor's Rest also has, and we have a pure vegan restaurant, which we're the first in Cyprus to have a vegan restaurant at our beach. So it's first Hotel vegan restaurant, which is really exciting. And we do actually get quite a lot of bookings for the hotel based on having that option. So it's really yummy food. And the idea is, you need know, to show people that you don't have to flick around a piece of kale on your plate to have a good meal if you're vegan or if you just want a plant-based yeah. meal. Yeah. So everyone who has even one meal that's uh-huh. vegan is doing their bit for the planet.
0: Yeah and so probably sorry. and probably also um healthy vegan food because this is also sometimes what people say if you just use all these extra products, you know, like how do you like processed products? Then yeah, it's not yeah. also no. <laughs>
1: it's not so healthy. Yeah. You can be a junk food yeah. vegan. Yeah. Which I'm all up for as well. I mean, you're still saving, saving a lot of animals' lives and saving the planet, but you're definitely not saving your body. <laughs> yeah. So you can be whole food plant-based, you're doing that extra bit for your body. It takes a bit of a bit of time to get your head round. Um, you know, cooking that way, which is why I've got this platform, cook vegan. But it's much easier said than done, and it's really fun. It's really fun doing it.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm going to to check the recipes in your book because I have it, and see if there is oh, something uh, I want to make over the over the holidays. Um,
1: Definitely try the chestnut um, loaf. Roast. Oh,
0: really, okay. Thank you for the tip. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to to check that out later. So, um, a question I would have because it sounds you are actually busy, obviously, like with all the the responsibilities, with your family, with your interests. How do you manage um, stress? What is your your recipe for stress management?
1: Oh, well, there's I think there's several things here. One is not to take life too seriously. You've got to have a bit of humor, and you've got to you know be kind to yourself. So that's the main thing. So. You know, we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves about doing our best, about being perfect, about getting everything done. But you've got to, you know, step back from that and say, well, I just did my best today and my best is good enough. It might not be that everything's perfect. You might not have achieved everything you wanted to do that day. But if you did your best, that's good enough. You've just got to yeah, give yourself some slack. Definitely have some humor and laugh about things. You know, if something goes wrong, if your kids spill something on the way out or puts on their shoes in the wrong way, or you're late for your meeting or whatever, just laugh it off. Just, you know, be kind and um, it's okay. Don't don't take life too seriously. And the other thing is um, try and give yourself that bit of time. So, you know, a lot of people talk about meditating and prayer and, you know, having a bit of alone time. I mean, oh, I'd love to have more alone time, which I don't get, but Might be, and I always give this example when I give talks just get to school five minutes early and sit in your car in silence, not on your phone, just in silence, five, 10 minutes, have that time, listen to music, or go on a walk, or yeah, do some yoga, or whatever it might be. If you can do one thing a day for you, then that's really important. I don't manage it every day, and on the days I don't manage it, if two, three, four days build up like that, then I'll start getting super stressed. But if I can then just hold, hold myself back and say, you know what, I'm good. Or just on my way home, just pull the car over and watch the sea for a couple of minutes and just have that time and breathe. That's really important. And um, of course, sleep. Sleep is tough, especially for me now with three kids. But, you know, if you sleep well or if you have a good night's sleep, it makes a big, big difference for um, your life. That's for sure. I mean, I'm, my youngest is two and I'm still breastfeeding. So I haven't slept in years like a full night, but, but I have humor about it. And then I just think, well, you know, even a few hours is better than nothing. And yeah, just, yeah, it's all good.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And I guess with big responsibilities also come challenges. So would love to hear some of the bigger challenges you have tackled and yeah. And how you have done that. It might, might've been personal challenges. It might have been like with uh, the role you're in or whatever, some life changes, would you give us some examples and how you handled them?
1: Sure. So, um, I would, well, two challenges immediately come to mind. One is, well, actually I'd say three. So one is, where do I start now? Okay. I don't want to pull the card because I hate pulling this card of being a woman and working, but um, I will, I will pull it just for this podcast <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and do the and do the I'm a woman and I'm in a man's world. But um I would say my my advice to anybody listening to this who maybe is young and starting off on their career is don't give it too much importance. So that's that has been a challenge at some points in my life, being a woman, especially in my industry, in tourism and in hotels. So uh, luckily, in my industry, it is about 50-50 split, which is great. There are a lot of women working in the in, the, in the or in hotels, and there's a lot of men. But the difference is when you get to the top, then it's not so many. So you are definitely one of few. I wouldn't say I'm the only one, but I'm one of few. I mean, and I think in Cyprus, maybe it's even more apparent. We see even less. So really, we don't see any female general managers. We see very few female leaders, um, and especially in my industry, there are some, but there's not many. Uh, most of the time, it's um, the sons that take over the family businesses and not women. And that's there's various reasons behind that. So I would say that that was a bit of a challenge in itself. First of all, you know, having to just basically not give it importance and be like, well, I'm a woman, but that's fine. I don't care. And if I get the odd comment, which I have done from you know older men in the profession, I'm just going to ignore it. And then I would say that leads me on to the second challenge, which was a bigger challenge for me, was one of being privileged. So coming from a privileged background is great. And everybody, I think, when they look at me or someone like me, they think, oh wow, your life must be so great, or you've been handed things on a silver platter. Or life's been easy for you, but actually it's it's it can be tough. I'm not again not um shedding and the tears. I don't want to you know, flick a tear away now and expect anyone to cry for me, but it's difficult because people look at someone who is the daughter of or the child of or the grandchild of, and they say, Well, it's easy for you. It was easy for you to get to the top. And actually it wasn't. You have to first of all convince your family that you're good enough to do it. And there's a lot of people who have, you know. It's their business. It's their their asset as well. So they're like, well, I don't know if you're good enough to do it. And you've got to prove yourself to them and, you know, really fight for that role. And really, it's, it's, it's harder than if you were just, you know, someone from outside coming in and working your way up. I mean, I really had to be like, I'm good enough. You know, I can do this. And um, so that was tough. And then prove to the outside world. I mean, when I started, I was a sales exec, sales executive, and I had you know, managers and general managers and people who just thought, "Oh, well, you're not going to be here for long, or you're just going to be on top of me without me," you know, having to train you, or you don't really know what you're doing and you never will, and I'm not going to give you any respect for that, or, or it might have been people thinking, "Well, this is my one time that I'm above you and I'm going to make you feel it." So, I had a lot of challenges early on, and I I did feel quite emotional at some points in my life, but. Again, um, I didn't dwell on it. You know, what didn't kill me made me harder. And I just kept on fastling through and, you know, really learning by myself. You know, when I started that nobody wanted to teach me anything. And I literally had to sit in this office on my own and open files. And I did that for six months just reading, you know, what is an educational? What, you know, what, what do people do on business dinners? What, what happened here? What does this mean? What do quotations look like? What are rates look like? What are bar rates? What are rack rates? What are, and just teach myself. Um, so, yeah, the learning curve was quite, quite strong, but it was fun. I mean, it was fun. Now, looking back, I don't think the younger me would have said that. And then my third challenge that I will mention now is definitely probably my biggest, which was being a business leader and a working mom. So after having kids, it definitely that was a massive game changer for me. Um, I, I was used to traveling pretty much half a year for work and being free and independent and doing business dinners, you know, five to seven nights a week and sleeping on four hours and getting up to work and traveling to like four countries in a week. And suddenly I was a mom of this precious angel. And in my pregnancy, I was still traveling. So right until the doctor said, right, you, you can't travel anymore. You're going to give birth in a few weeks. I was like, that's okay," Um, And I was telling colleagues in different countries, I'll see you in a few months. I'll be back. You know, I didn't really put a lot of thought onto what it would mean to have this little being who depends wholeheartedly on you. You know, you are their everything. So having Yasmina was was massive for me. And then having to balance, you know, being in the position I was in and having this this little person. And then just when I thought, okay, I'm all right. And then I had number two. And then again, I, I managed, and then number three came along. So it's been really fun, but it's been tough. There's been many moments where I felt definitely break breakdown or burnout points. But um, you know, you get through and you manage. And I think you realize and that maybe when you're not doing either job perfectly, that's when you've hit the balance. So when you're not maybe the best mom you can be that day, or the best business leader you could be that day, then that's the balance. Because if you're being, you know, the best business leader possible, then chances are you weren't there for your kids that much that day. And then if you're the best mommy you can be, chances are you kind of neglected your business at that point. So it's a bit of give a bit of give and take and um yeah, a bit of learning and um cartwheeling and juggling and everything else, but but it's been definitely fun and uh a challenge that I've enjoyed rising up to wouldn't have it any other way
0: oh, I love all of these examples and we obviously could go into each one of them <laughs> a bit deeper because it's so interesting and um I have two more questions because I know you have to go to your next meeting um one more is I was also part of a family business at the art world like an art gallery I decided at some point to just follow my own and not take over the art gallery due to several reasons. And yeah, I know it can be, it it is a challenge because you're in it. And at the same point, yeah, what you said, like the proving energy and all of that, it sounds you have gone through all challenges very, very nicely. And why? Like so many people, they just have one of these challenges and they basically, you know, go into burnout and they break and depression or whatever. And it sounds you're going through all of them somehow with ease. You keep going. So what is it? Is it something, perhaps some kind of resilience in your family? Or would you say there are some people in your family that are like this this person, like a mentor or a rock or so to you? Or or is it a, a belief you follow? What, what do you think is the reason?
1: I'm more of a believer in nurture. And I think that we maybe are born with tendencies, but we develop according to our environment. Yes, definitely. There's been mentors in my life um, and people that I've not just admired, actually people that I've decided I don't want to be like. So there are, um, I think that's probably shaped me even more seeing different people. Yeah. And saying, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my husband's bits, but I don't want to be dependent on a husband. I want to be independent. And You know, I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom. And I want my kids to have something to look up to and look forward to. Not that I have anything against stay-at-home moms. I think they're fabulous. And I think there's not a bigger privilege than bringing up the next generation. And what what a role that is. But that wasn't the role that I decided I wanted in my life. However, I don't want my kids to miss out on one single iota of having full-time mum. So I am, that is my main role is to be their mummy and I will give them my all. But I explained to them that, you know, mummy's also got this other side. I do want to carry on this legacy for the family. And I do want to keep this hotel, you know, just a leading hotel to make it into something amazing and move it forward as well. So I love having challenges, but I would say, yes. I'm by nature a positive person. So that's definitely helped me. Um, I like challenges. So that's definitely helped me. I have definitely had low moments in my life. I've cried rivers at certain periods of my life, but I've always come out stronger and wiser. I'm a firm believer in what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So I've almost looked for difficult times or been ready for them. Um, with the knowledge that I'll, I'll be okay. Like I've always believed I'll be okay and I I can do it. There's nothing I can't do. And I tell my kids, there's nothing you can't do. You can be anything you want to be. So um, yeah, I, I love, I love a challenge and I believe we can do a lot of things. And I think that it's fun doing loads mm. of things and balancing loads of things. So I'm looking forward to what I'm doing now and, and to mm. the next chapter and whatever that might bring.
0: And I think that's a great one, Like, there's um, knowing that every challenge like, just brings you to the next point. And I don't know how you said it, but it comes more from a perspective of there is so much more potential in us than we think instead of, you know, like if you can do anything, then you have like a much broader perspective working towards instead of like, oh, I can only do this tiny bit. Then you're from the beginning on focusing the tiny part of your ex- experience, so to say your existence. So that's good. And um, the two last things I want to ask you first, a little bit, just like some sentences around money mindset, I guess you coming from, from your background, you probably haven't experienced um, great existential fear around money, I guess, but you probably have still done, like had to do big in like investment decisions and stuff like that. So perhaps some, some ideas around money mindset that you could give to the business owners who are listening.
1: (laughs) People, sometimes people with money, they have more fear about losing it than other people because, well, firstly, the more you have, the more you have to lose. And secondly, people, you know, growing up with money usually are surrounded by other people who have money. And many people lose money. So they see it, you know, they see it in with their family. They see people fight over money. They see people spend too much and lose it. They see people make mistakes and go bankrupt. So I think a lot of people do have that fear, and it also depends on different cultures. I mean, I, you know, grew up. A huge part of my upbringing was in the UK, and the the UK definitely has um, a mindset of preserving family assets. And of course, there's huge inheritance tax as well in the UK and in many places in the world. And this creates a huge fear of having your family heirlooms taken from you and your assets being taken from you. So people. They don't want to spend it. They want to preserve it. So I saw that a lot in many people. I saw many people lose what they were given. Um, I've I've seen how money has destroyed families and relationships. Um, And that's definitely not something that I want. So I, I have never taken money for granted. I've always believed that even if you have a safety net, you still have to go out there and earn and work. Otherwise, it's so easy. I mean, the amount of millionaires, multimillionaires we see that end up with no money, which is obvious. I mean, if you spend, you know, a fortune every year, that pie can only last for so long, you know. My mindset with money, however, is not to, I wouldn't say not to put emphasis on it, but I've never been worried, let's say, about about losing it or not having it. So I've always focused on the positive side of it, of having it and making more, and growing it. We go into the secret now, which I don't have this philosophy because of the secret, but that's how I've, I think I've always been. So I've always been very grateful for the safety net that has been provided to me, which is amazing. I mean, you know, my father bought me my first home, and my first car, and everything else. So that, what a a start in life, and I've never taken that for granted, that I didn't have to, you know, start off in life by trying to get on the property ladder or worries about how I get from A to B. However, that didn't make me think, oh, well, that's it. I'm done now. I was like, no, well, I want to now build my own home. I was lucky enough to have that. Now I want to earn and create more, you know, make more. And now I want to keep making and give that safety net to my children. So I already, you know, save money and put it aside for my three kids. And um, yeah, and I just have this mindset about growing and uh, you know, having this vision and yeah, of making things bigger and better. And
0: yeah. No, I like that. It, yeah. It's like you said, the optimism that you have and then putting it also into or, or creating like money mindset on that or, or having your, your money mindset based on that and yeah we could yeah. go into the secret but i guess many people are familiar with it so or so because i also talk about law of attraction and what you focus on expands and so so on so that fits that fits it okay and the last question would be for you just anything you would like to share with the uh, with the listeners with the audience today to wrap up
1: oh my goodness well my one closing comment would be please eat more vegan meals Say. So- um, if you're not familiar with veganism, um, do do follow me on any platform that you like. And hopefully I'll prove to you that vegans are not annoying people. They can be, but hopefully I'm not. I don't have to be like, like anyone. anyone. So a lot of vegans just get overly passionate because they, they've seen the light and they want to share that all that information with people out there. So yeah, if you're interested to learn more, you can also buy my book on Amazon. And yeah, if you can just have... You know, one meal a week, start off with one day a week that's plant based. Um, You won't, I promise you, won't miss meat or fish or dairy that day, but you'll just feel lighter and better. And you'll really make a difference to animals, animal suffering, um, you know, in the world and, you know, and also just the planet. You know, let's let's try and preserve this peaceful planet that we live on and be positive, be happy, be healthy. So everyone, you love them, say kind things to as many people as we can. I think the pandemic has made so many people bitter and um, you know, people have lost their patience. They've just become so demanding and mean. and I think we need to really remember who we are and that you know, most people are good, like my, one of my favorite country songs, country music songs, say so most people are good. So show everyone your goodness, be kind be kind to animals, be kind to your kids and your mom and your dad and your friends and say that they look nice in that dress or that shirt and make people feel good about themselves. And that's it. And thank you so much, Lydia, for having me on. It's really been nice.
0: Yeah, it was lovely talking to you. And we obviously have um, your links in the show notes for everyone interested in the book or the Facebook group and also the the area in, in Limassol. So thank you for your time and your wisdom and your optimism today. And have a beautiful day. Thank you so day. much. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: You too, all the best. Take care, my dear.
0: Did you like this podcast episode? Then please share it with people who you know could benefit from it. Also, I would be super grateful if you could leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It would mean such a lot to me. If you want to stay connected with me, please join my Telegram channel for daily mini reminders around mindset, business growth, investing and living life to the fullest. Or message me directly on Instagram or LinkedIn. You will find all the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening and until the next episode. Much love, Lydia.